You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. Amen. We do know that he watches us as he reminds us through David in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and set sail to the farthest limits of the sea, even then you are with me. Your hand guides me and your right hand upholds me. If I say to the light, become darkness, and the day become night, even darkness is light to you. Even the night is day to you. Because in you, there is no darkness. And I love the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 27 when he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I fear? There is no need to fear, for the Lord is near. And we've gathered into his presence today, and he is with us. It's All Saints Sunday. We had a little lesson this morning with the youth Sunday school class about what that means, and I explained to them about the candles and what would transpire today. But really, I don't really know what's going to transpire. That's up to the Holy Spirit, what transpires here at Misty Creek. So we lean on the Holy Spirit in this service. But I do know that he's placed Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, on my heart. It wasn't the scripture that Sally read. You'll hear that in just a few moments. But how appropriate... To know that his eye is on the sparrow and he watches over me. For we hear the writer of Hebrews say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And who are those witnesses? That, that great cloud of witnesses. They watch over us. They intercede for us. They bring us comfort. To know that we're being watched over by the saints of God, by His angels, and by God Himself. And to know that God has manifested Himself in each one of us through the Holy Spirit. For when we say yes to Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we make the greatest decision of our lives to follow Him, to surrender to Him... It's then that he gives us the keys to the kingdom. And one day we will be part of that great cloud of witnesses. So he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. What's hindering you today? What did you bring in today that you would like to leave at the altar, at the cross, at the feet of Jesus? You're tired of dragging it around. It's hindering you. You can't seem to focus. It's hard for you to have your contemplative time in the morning. You're like, what does that mean? Your quiet time with the Lord. Just being still in His presence before you open even the Bible or your 15 devotion books that you have that you've gotten for Christmas every year or from friends. Or listen to your podcast because all of you have several of them. You love to send them to me as well. Before any of that, you're just sitting 
in the presence of the living God. Jesus did that so often. He just went to be still, to get away from everything, the chaos of the noise, to step out of the busyness into the presence of his Father. Isn't that where we need to be every day, to begin our day? You know, I have no doubt, and I'm going to get back to that scripture in a second. I'm just going on what the Spirit leads me to say today. I have no doubt that even the woman who was in room 778 at Gwinnett Medical Center, which is now Northside Hospital Gwinnett, her name is Patricia Norton. Many of you know her. Her husband's here this morning. She's probably watching us right now. I have no doubt that after she had her hip surgery, after her horrible car accident on Wednesday, and God spared her life, you'd have seen that vehicle, you'd have thought, that's a miracle that she survived it. And she did. I have no doubt that she is taking time while she's there just to be in the presence of the Most High God, just to talk to Him. No distractions other than the nurses coming in every now and then and the various beeps you have in your hospital room. You know the beeps, right? Sometimes they're so monotonous, you just lay there and you listen to them and they have a little rhythm to them. And you listen to that rhythm all night long. But she can intentionally just lean into the Lord. And that's what she told me she was doing when I went to see her yesterday. And so there's another witness all the way in Gwinnett watching us online, praying that God would do marvelous things through this congregation. So let's get back to Hebrews. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and cripples us and causes us, my grandmother uses the word, we're stove up in sin. You know what stove up is? Yes, not stove top. That's a dressing. It's a box of dressing. You know what I'm talking about. You try to make it for Thanksgiving and make everybody think you made it homemade, but we all know the difference. So I do like it, so if you decide to make it, just make sure the gravy's homemade, if you would. I'm not a big a giblet fan, though. That's just, just FYI. And so stove up in sin. Everything that entangles us, and that's sin. And he says, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Did you hear that? Marked out for us. Already marked out for us. Keeping our eyes fixed and focused on who? The author, creator, perfecter, and Doug, my favorite part, the pioneer of our faith, Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, and it was there. He could have gone another way, but for the joy set before him, he willingly took the way of the cross, scorning its shame. But now he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Consider him, Jesus, who endured all sorts of opposition from sinners. Take heart and don't give up. You come to a day like all saints and you may think, I just don't know if I can go on without her. If I can go on without him, I'm not sure I can make it. I'm trying, Stephen, but it's hard because I miss her. I miss him. I'm sad all the time. Oh, I know. She's a part of that great cloud of witnesses. Oh, I know. 
He's in the arms of Jesus, in a better place. I've heard that a thousand times, but I miss hugging her. I miss holding his hand. I miss the conversations we used to have, the physical touch. But thank you for offering me some comfort three months down the road after I've lost someone very close to me when you say, you know, it's time just to move on. Thank you for that. Thank you for saying the hundredth time, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And how many times do we hear that when we're at the funeral home, we're in the chapel, at the church, or maybe it's a graveside and it's visitation, and we're standing there, and the people that we love us have no idea what to say to us. And so they just come up to us and say, I'm sorry. That's all we know, right? What else do we do, Stephen? Don't say a thing. Don't say a thing. Just you being there says it all. Your presence says it all. You being present here today says it all. Just being here, no matter what your motives are, Maybe you were made to come. I had to come. I needed to come. I got that text from Stephen saying, I've missed you, or that text from whoever, that message, so I thought I'd go. You came because you wanted God to say something to you. God, get me out of this trouble. Or you've come today because I need to let go of this grief and pain. Can I, can I give you a little side note? You're going to grieve the rest of your life if you've lost somebody. These stages of grief, everybody's style, stages, it's different from the other. There's no set prescription to how you're going to grieve. Authors have these great books out there, and they're good. But that might not apply to your situation and who you are. Because you had that relationship with the person you lost, not the author of that book. You did. It was your loss. So you're going to go through it differently than the next person is or somebody else in your family. It's the way it is. So here we are on All Saints as we remember those who have served God on earth and now enjoy His company in heaven. And that's what we hope. That's our hope. That's why it's so important that we know who Jesus is, but that we don't keep Jesus to ourselves. We go and we share Jesus. That's what He's called us to do so that everyone has that opportunity to call on the name of the Lord and receive Him for themselves so that they have that eternal hope, so that they have eternal life. And so whenever their service of celebration or remembrance is indeed a service of celebration because we know that they are now walking with the Lord. We know that they're in paradise, as Jesus describes it, paradiso, something that's indescribable. That's why we have very little in the Scriptures that describe what it's going to be like. God intended it to be that way. If it were like what you were living on earth, then it wouldn't be heaven. But I tell you what, every single Sunday morning, when we gather together, and I see our congregation, those watching online, I do believe I get a little taste of heaven. I do, being with you, because I'm surrounded by the cloud of witnesses in real time, Right? And so this is not a day of sorrow, but a day of gladness. 
For we know that because Christ lives, we too shall live with the company of all those who are part of the family of Christ. That's why we want everyone to be a part of the family of Christ. I don't care where you're from, what you look like, your culture. I don't, that doesn't make any difference to me. Because in Christ, we're all one. One in the Lord. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. We are together. No matter our political views, no matter how we're going to vote on Tuesday, that we are one in Christ. And that we have made a commitment that we're not going to hurt anybody with our words or our actions. And that we've realized several things. One is... As a follower of Christ, I realize it's okay to have an unpublished thought. It's okay for me not to say anything at times. Little as much when God is in it. Christ, believe it or not, was a man of very few words. Do you know who wrote most of the words in the New Testament? Paul. Okay? Christ didn't have to say a whole lot. But what he said... We always want to remember, kind of like E.F. Hutton, you know. I want to listen. I want to hear the words of Jesus and what he says. And those who are eyewitnesses of his ministry, I want to listen and read with my heart. So we remember today the words of Paul when he instructed the church with these words, and you heard them just a few moments ago. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Listen to this. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14. Notice that Paul is not telling these believers that Christians do not grieve. He is not saying that. Okay, Rather, he's telling them not to grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. How many people are walking around with no hope? They're hopeless. I must confess to you that without Jesus, hope does not exist. There's no such thing. Give me some examples of hope without Jesus. You might say, well, I hope that my team wins. I hope that I pass that exam. I hope that we can conceive. You can say that. But how about this? Lord, I hope that anything that I attempt will fail if it's not of you. If you're not in this, what's most important? You know, when you're next to someone in a hospital room that's been severely injured, had surgery, been in an auto accident, with your neck, you're next to someone in their home or at an assisted living facility, and they're under hospice care, and they look at you and they, they say to you, you know what the most important thing is in life? Relationships. Others. People. Investing in others, helping other people, not making this life all about me, myself, and I. There's a lot of wisdom in that. It seems like when we get in a tragic situation, we quickly remember, or it dawns on us, man, 
all this stuff that I've been doing, all this stuff I've been amassing in my life, it really doesn't matter. I need to make sure that I'm connected with my family and my friends, that I've told them that I love them, that I care about them. I don't need to wait to the funeral to do that or the visitation or when they have the chronic illness and they're in the hospital and I finally get to see them after two or three years and finally say to them, you know, I'm sorry, there's a word again, that I didn't get with you before now. You know, life's just been really busy. I've got a lot going on. What that says to that person is, you're really not that important. My job's more important than you. My career, my investments, my retirement, all this other stuff. Once I get all that settled, then I'll have time for you. And it could be too late if you wait. So what is hope, you might ask? Hope is this, that I'm going to live prompted by the Holy Spirit. That I'm going to ask every day through the Holy Spirit that I would make the right decisions. That I would invest in people. That I would invest in relationships. That I would make a difference for the cause of Christ. Lord, may your Spirit move in me. May you speak through me. May you act through me. May I do what you've called me to do. Lord, I want to... Lean into you. I want to be so close to you that your glory is my only aim. And that your will is my only desire. Then everything else is secondary. Bonus, so to speak, right? Because I want to live the way you've called me to live. I want to run that race that you've already marked out for me. It's like running down a path and there's lights. Oh, thank you, God. I'm running down that path. But then Jesus says, it's a narrow gate. And there's a lot of opportunities out there where the gate is wide. And there's a big field out there. But in that big field, there's thorns, thistles, briars, bugs, animals. Stay out of that. It's the sin that's going to entangle you and take you down. Instead, stay on the path that I have marked out for you. Keeping your eyes fixed and focused on me, which is Jesus. Fixed and focused on Jesus. Don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You have hope. And it may seem redundant to you, However, we need to remember that hope does have a name. Marty, would you tell everybody what that name is? She knows. Do you know that? That hope has a name? It's Jesus. Exactly. I could say the benediction and we'd be good to go just knowing that today. You know, life, not God, sends adversity to us all. But we want to blame somebody for the adversity. Somebody's got to be the cause of losing my loved one or my husband getting cancer or losing our child unexpectedly or that wreck or that natural disaster. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to cause my chronic pain. It must be God because certainly he could prevent it. It's life that sends us adversity. It's not God that does that. 
If I decide to get on that road right now and not look, especially right here as you pull out of the drive, I decide to drive on out the wrong way like most of you do. You drive out the wrong way here. Um, and, you, and you fuss at the person coming in the right way. You're like, what are they doing? You know, and you're the one in the wrong, but you know, you got to blame it on somebody else. And so as you're pulling out, you don't look to the left, you don't look to the right, you just pull out and you get, I mean, you get hit full force by this huge suburban. That was your decision. That's life, right? That, God didn't do that. You made that choice to be irresponsible in your driving. You're holding your phone, you know, trying to, trying to get it synced with your Bluetooth, but yet you still have it in your hand and you're distracted. Hint, hint to some of you in here. As a pastor and as a chaplain, and I'm a bereavement care coordinator, so I, I deal with a lot of end-of-life situations, I've learned that empathy and shared grief can work miracles, folks. Many people, when they're trying to comfort someone going through grief, they say, God never gives us more than we can handle. Does that help you when you're going through grief? Does that help the person? But maybe you've even said that. Oh, don't worry. God will get you through this. Here's a casserole. You know? And you don't hear from that person for three years. It's that kind of thing. That's not this church, by the way. And we're very intentional, and we're working on it. Y'all, we're not perfect. We're growing, and there's a lot of needs in this congregation. So we're beginning to be intentional. We're having meetings on how we best can care for the congregation, congregational care, bereavement care, because... We don't have to do any of that, but we want to. We want to be there for one another. And we want to help each other from saying things that just are boneheaded. You know what I mean? I believe saying things like God never gives us more than we can handle can backfire and can make the person grieving feel even worse. And sometimes I know that we're tested beyond our own resources and our strength. I know this from my own losses. I've had a lot of losses in my family. And because I'm the token preacher, whenever somebody dies in my family, no matter if it's the fourth cousin removed, I'm most likely going to do their funeral. And that's just the way it is. And I'm honored and I'm humbled to be asked. And I will definitely do that and serve my family in that way. I remember one month in the last church that I served, in one month in November, around the holidays, folks, I did nine funerals. This is in one church. Nine funerals in one month. I got a call from the lady that was the head of our bereavement care, and she says, I am burned out. She said, do you know how much food we've prepared and how many visits that we've arranged in one month? Usually in a church, you might, you might lose nine people in a year. Usually not that many. On average, it's usually like maybe two or three, even in a bigger church, but nine. And I knew Every one of those individuals. And I was close to several of them. Very close. And several were unexpected. And so I heard, I still hear, and I've heard from folks, why God? I don't understand this. Why did you cause this to happen? I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I hear those questions and I hear it a lot. And I understand that these feelings, they, they come and go. It's more than I can handle. But God gives us something to enable us to endure. The Apostle Paul assures us that when we are tested beyond our strength, did you hear that? Our strength, God will provide a way 
through until free on the other side, we can walk forward into the light of a new day. He can do that. His strength through us. You catch it? You understanding this? He says it beautifully in Ephesians when he says, I pray that out of his abundant riches that God would strengthen you, strengthen you with his power through his spirit, through his spirit that is at work within you, that God would strengthen you and give you his power through his spirit. And the greatest thing that he gives you is the ability to love and to be present for those who are struggling. I've learned to pattern my ministry and pastoral care after that of Jesus. I read this book not long ago. It's called Finding Ourselves Lost, The Ministry in the Age of Overwhelm. This, this book helped me realize that I cannot handle the information overload given to me through the culture. I mean, I got information coming at me from all over. You know, the internet, you can search for anything, find anything. There's so much information, so many books, so many podcasts, so many varying opinions coming at you all at once. That's why it's so important to stay grounded and rooted in the truth of the gospel and not by everything else. It's important to have a biblical worldview. It's like, what does that mean? A biblical worldview means all my decisions, even in the secular world, are made through consulting the truth, God's Word. What does God have to say about this? Seeking His prompting and His wisdom on making decisions, even in the business world, even in my secular job. How I treat those in the church with hospitality and love, that's the way I'm going to treat those in the work field out there in the world so that they will know that I'm a Christian by my love and my actions and my work. That I'm no different at work than I am in the church. That I'm not a different person on Monday morning than I am on Sunday morning. That I'm who Christ created me to be in the first place and that's his disciple, his follower and that my purpose in life is to glorify him and to tell everybody about him and to enjoy him now and forevermore. Because I have, as a believer, as a follower, that hope that Paul is talking about, I have the hope and the promise of eternity already within me because he that is in me is greater than the world. And there's nothing that the world can do to me because I have the armor of God. And I can get through even the darkest times of grief and despair because I know that there's more to this life than just living and dying, that I have a purpose, that I have a calling. But I can't handle all this stuff, Stephen. I can't handle all this information coming to me. So like Jesus, we need to withdraw at times and recover our soul and who we are. So I encourage folks to move forward instead of moving on. Move forward at some point, reattach in life, even through your grief, that you can live again, you can breathe again, you can smile again, you can have joy again. God has always provided a way and the resources in my life to move forward 
even when I thought there wasn't a way. He's always watching and observing. Stephen, how will you respond to this situation, to this grief, to this anxiety, to this separation, to this disappointment? How will you respond to it? Will you remain faithful and obedient to me during this? And never doubt my goodness. You see, God uses others to bring healing and wholeness. I've learned that God can work through us in our grief and in our pain. Our goal is that we have hope and that our our life is not over. We have the hope of God. It's important that we don't isolate our feelings. If I need to scream, if I need to yell, if I need to complain, if I need to holler out doubt, God's big enough for that. Matter of fact, He expects it. I mean, God did it, didn't He, through Jesus? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If the King of Kings can question His Father, can I not do that? Why can't I not? Okay, do I just accept everything? No. As the old song says, I'm going to have a little talk with Jesus about this. I'm going to express my concerns and my anxiety and my anger. I'm going to let him know about it. Because I do know he'll listen to me and he'll comfort me. That's what I need. I need comfort. I have found that everybody has something in common. We need relationships. We want to be needed. We want to be cared for. We want to know that we have value and worth. We need to be cared for. Those are good things, and we need that. We can't do life alone. It's important that we don't isolate our feelings. I'm just saying that to you. Get those feelings out. Take some time to rest. Don't use the terms, move on. Move forward is good. Time isn't the healer, especially in grief situations. It's not. When someone says, you'll get over it in time, with time it'll get easier. For some folks, with time it gets more difficult. Especially when Christmas gets here and and Thanksgiving and birthdays, it gets harder. But it doesn't have to because those can be the times in which you remember the good times, the celebrations. You get the photo album out. You remember the joy and the the connections and the the intimacy that you had and know that this person's life was not in vain, that they have impacted me, I impacted them, and I can rejoice and I can celebrate at Christmas. I can celebrate at Thanksgiving. I can celebrate their birthday. When I hear their name, it's a beautiful thing because it means they're not forgotten. I haven't forgotten them. People say, man, Stephen, you talk to people freely about the loss of their loved one like five years later. Yes, I want them to know that I haven't forgot her. I haven't forgot him. That they impacted me. That they impacted this world. That's important, folks. That's how we move forward instead of move on. Don't beat yourself up over regrets. There's two words I don't like. Regret and worry. I don't like those words. How many times have you said it? I regret this. I regret that I did that. I regret that I didn't say this. I regret saying that. You know what I mean. You've done it before. And some of you, for whatever reason, you could live anywhere you want to, but you choose to live at the residence of what if. What if. You know that song on contemporary Christian radio? What if. What if. What if. What if. What if. Man. 
You don't want to live there because you'll continually question yourself and your value and your worth, and you'll live in that residence as a sad, isolated person. Don't avoid grieving. You know, one of the, the characteristics of loving someone and people is that you're going to grieve at some point in your life. And some of our young people in here have had to grieve a little earlier than expected over the loss of loved ones. Some of their schoolmates, classmates. There's been a lot of that in this community, folks, of all ages that we've lamented over together. Don't avoid it. Don't avoid the grieving. Don't feel guilty because you're grieving. I've been wounded. I've had grief in my own life, and I've turned my hurt and my sorrow into being accessible for someone else. I've had people help me, and I want to help others. And sometimes helping them without saying anything is more. It is. Just being there, being present. I'm here. I'm here whether you need me or not. I am here. But you know, our society is so uncomfortable, and we just got a few more minutes here. Our society is so uncomfortable discussing grief issues. And our society has so many unrealistic views of how people should grieve. Folks, expressions of grief are as individual as fingerprints. Okay? Individual as fingerprints. It can take on many forms and impact our lives in areas that many people are unaware. Listen to this quick story from John eleven thirty two. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. One of, one of the strongest emotions of human beings is that of grief. When someone we love dies, the pain goes to the core of our being. It cuts deep. Years ago, one of my favorite authors, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, wrote a groundbreaking book on the stages of grief entitled On Death and Dying. And it's a book I recommend. I don't agree with all of the stages and how they're set out, but she has a heart for those who are grieving and sad because she's faced a lot herself. And since that time, scores of other books and articles have been built upon her initial work. One of the stages that she identified in grief is that of anger. If you listen carefully, you can almost hear the anger in Mary's voice when she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mary was right in assuming that Jesus is Lord over life and death. She was right. Jesus is Lord over life and death. She was wrong in assuming that Jesus' presence would have automatically meant her brother Lazarus would not have died. I have been in many settings where I knew Christ was present, and yet the person breathed his or her last physical breath. When someone we love dies, anger is one of the stages we must go through 
toward healing. But let us never forget that our real hope is found not in this life, but in the Christ who accompanies us into life beyond the grave. Folks, I know you think that this life is so vital and so important, but it's nothing but the blink of an eye, snap of a finger, compared to the eternity that Christ has prepared for those who believe that He is the Messiah and they have received Him as their personal Lord and Savior. And they don't just say it, but they serve like Jesus does. And they love like Jesus does. And they even think like Jesus does. They have the mind and attitude of Jesus. Let me just say, that's biblical, folks. That's not made up for me. So you say, Stephen, why is anger a stage of grief? Have you ever experienced anger during your own grief? What are some steps that you've taken to overcome some of the anger that you've felt? It's a story I shared a few years ago, and I think it's very appropriate at this point. So Rabbi Harold Kushner tells the story of a five-year-old boy who came home late one night from playing. His mother asked, why are you so late? He began to explain, I was on my way home and I saw Mary. She was crying because her bicycle was broken. His mother said, but you don't know anything about fixing bicycles. I don't know nothing about fixing no bicycles. The little boy replied, I know. So I sat down with her and helped her cry. Have you ever just sat down with somebody and helped them cry? Held their hand, patted them on the knee, put your arm around them, and just, you were just there. You didn't try to say something profound. Let me share this scripture passage with you. I know on my heart. You didn't try to do that. You didn't give them some article or share something on your phone with them. You were just present. It's the ministry of presence, and that is a ministry. You just sat there and you cried with them. Isn't it interesting that some of us, when we face loss and death in our life, that we seek out those who face loss and death in their own life because we know that they can empathize and we go directly to them. And we don't even say anything to them. They don't say anything to us. We just open our arms and we hold each other because we know you know what I'm going through. I just need to hold you. Because you've been wounded, you've been hurt, you've been angry, and I feel that way too. I know you can help me. You can. When you get on the other side, whatever that is, you can use your grief and your woundedness to be a source of healing for somebody else. You say, what's God's purpose in this? There it is. So that you can be a source of healing and comfort for someone else. You can. Wow. Wow. We are coming together as a church, as a body, to do the difficult work of grief. Some people will just choose to avoid it. But one cannot go around grief. One cannot go under it or over it. You must go through it to help yourself begin to heal. That's what we must do. That passage of Scripture that Sally read from Lamentations, I know it's, it's a short passage, but... It's all about lamenting. And quickly, this practice of lamenting reminds us that the book of Lamentations not only bemoans Jerusalem's destruction, and that's what's going on. 
Jerusalem's being destroyed. But this passage, this book of the Bible, has profound theological insights that I could teach on for days. But here's what I want you to hear. The horrors accompanying the Babylonian destruction of Judah are recited in some detail in this book. Wholesale devastation and slaughter of kings and princes and elders and priests and prophets and commoners alike. Starving mothers were reduced to cannibalism. The people were dragged off into exile. An elaborate system of ceremony and worship came to an end. It was over. Their lifestyle of worship was done. Imagine that. Someone just comes in and they clean out our church. They take everything away. They lock the doors and they say, you cannot worship any longer. And they break up our families. Hope that never happens, folks. But that's what was happening to the people of God. But it's not all gloom and doom. In the middle of the book, the theology of lamentations reaches its apex as it focuses on the goodness of God. A song that you hear sung here quite a bit. My wife usually leads that song, The Goodness of God. He is the Lord of hope, of love, of faithfulness, of salvation and restoration. In spite of all the evidence to the contrary, His compassions, Sally, as you read, never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Near the end of the book. That's why it's important to read Lamentations from the first chapter to the last chapter. Near the end of the book. Faith rises from Jerusalem's condition to acknowledge Yahweh's eternal reign. Lord, we turned our backs on you. Lord, we went our own way. We started doing this in opposition of you, and now we've been destroyed. That was our bad. That was our fault. You didn't cause that. We did it. Is that familiar to the world right now? What is the world causing by leaning into the world? You know. You, O Lord, reign forever. This is what it says. You, this is Lamentations 22, 23, 24. You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Normally at this point I would show you these slides and all, but I'm going to forego that today because the Lord just has something different for us. Today we're going to remember all of those who've gone on before us. Many of you have a list of how many have gone on before you. It's a long list. In my Bible, in my old Bible, inside the cover on two different pages is a listing of all the funerals that I've done over the years. It's so much longer than all the weddings I've done. I wish I could say differently, but it's just a lot of funerals. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming when I look at it. I'm like, oh my goodness, that many funerals? Um, that's a difficult thing. But I also have learned that I can't fix every situation. I want you to come back next Sunday because that's part two of what I'm preaching on. I'm going to talk about how we can't fix everything, but that God has given us something that we can share with others. And it's the most amazing component of healing you'll ever hear about or learn about. And you're going to get to learn that next week. It's going to radically transform the way that you pray for people and the way that you think with the Spirit's prompting. And so something that I do now as a pastor, as a chaplain, as a bereavement care coordinator is that I pray that people would experience the love of God. That, to me, is the greatest element of healing. 
that no matter what they face, no matter what they go through. I was with the teenagers this morning, and um, I handed them a card, and I told them to keep the card face down. And on that card were questions. And I said, before you answer that question that's on that card that you haven't seen, I want you to answer that question in this context. I am loved by God. I am loved by God, and He knows me. That's how you answer the question. And I'm not going to point... I guess I will point, pick her out. Um, Ashlyn had a card and said three things, three words that describe you, something like that. Now, had she not had this context that God loves her, she might would have said some things that were not very complimentary of her, honestly. I mean, what, how would you answer that based on how you feel? But knowing I'm loved by God, and He's called me, and He's with me, she didn't do three words. She just said, I am a child of God. That's how she describes herself. I am a child of God. Knowing that He loves me, I'm a child of God. So this morning when you come to this table, this is not a, a dirge, something that's dark. We have light here that represents life. As I said, there is no darkness in Christ. So when you come today, you're invited to ring this bell. Ring it as much as you want or just one time. And name those that you've lost. It could be a lot of people. It might just be somebody you lost recently. You may not even be able to say their name. But for me, the healing is saying their name aloud when I ring that bell. And the next thing that you'll do, this, by the way, says hope. I got it on Amazon. Kenneth reimbursed me, by the way. Thank you, Kenneth. Um, <laughs> so he knows. He's like, hope candles, what's that for? Um, you take the candle out. Because we almost burned the church down last year, we decided we weren't going to trust you with this thing anymore. Um, what we want you to do, and I know this is going a little bit long, um, so if you've got somewhere to be, I mean, nobody's going to look at you and say, oh, where are they going? Nobody's going to look at you doing that. Um, you flip it on. Look at that. Woo! Isn't that cool? And um, the review on Amazon said these last up to two years, burning them like four hours a day. I didn't know that. That's, that's, that's good. I doubt it, though. Um, so... You name their name, you put this, light that candle, and you take just one of these. Some of you say, well, i got 12 people I've lost. Don't take 12 candles. You're not going to be able to hold them all. It's overwhelming, and it's going to be like, look at me. I lost 12 people. No, it's not that kind of thing. Like, you're the one that lost them. We're not going to say, who's lost the most? We're not going to do that because that's not, it's not sacred. What's sacred is that you'll take this one that represents all of your loss. And Karen has taken ours and put it on our mantle, so we've got one of these for the last few years we've done this. This is a sacred time, a time of remembrance. It's a time of healing for you. And it also represents that if it's your mama, if it's your daddy, if it's your daughter, it's your best friend, your husband, your mama that you just lost represents her life and what she meant to you and what she still means to you and that her light lives on kind of beautiful when you think about it, isn't it? We're not going to rush this. We're not going to look at our watches and check our text and update our status. Instead, we're going to honor the people that come up here. And as they're ringing the bell, turning their candle on, we're going to be praying for them. Lord, comfort Melissa. Lord, 
Help her know she's loved. Lord, guide Susan. Fill her with your spirit and give her the comfort that she so desperately needs. Be praying for those people that come forward. Lord, continue to manifest yourself through Valerie because she shines your light so brightly to the world, even in the midst of her loss. She is a ray of hope, right? That's what we're going to do today. And if you're hurting, walk right out here. And I'm going to ask our prayer servants, lift your hand up, prayer servants. If you're a prayer servant, see these people with the hands up? If you're struggling and you're hurting and you need some comfort and some care, they'll be standing out here, outside. Take as long as you want. There is a service in here at 1 o'clock today. There's a funeral service, so we do have to be mindful of that. But we can be outside praying, praying over you and helping you through this time together. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.